Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with your WWE WrestleMania Backlash Ultimate Preview. That's right, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, is back once again to break down all things WWE. We're talking SmackDown, we're talking Raw, and before this show is out, we will have your ultimate preview of the first pay-per-view coming out of WrestleMania 37. It is, of course, WrestleMania Backlash, and we'll probably talk about that name a little bit later as well. Joining me on this journey, as always, is vintage Chris Vanini. You will hear from him in a bit, but before we get to this absolutely loaded show, a reminder that we got to take care of business on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And when it comes to taking care of business on this show, you know what it is all about. It's all about the five. That's right. It is all about the five. It is all about being marks for the Silver King and vintage Chris Vanini on this show. That means heading on over to Apple Podcasts, dropping a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love this show. It also means heading on over to Twitter and hitting us up with a follow at Getting Overcast. You want to follow us on Twitter. Not only do we tweet about wrestling all week, we drop the episodes of this show live as soon as they come out. We also have pre- and post-show polls for pay-per-views, which are going to be very important this week for WrestleMania Backlash. And we will have occasional live shows on Twitter spaces because we have access to that platform. So there's every reason in the world to follow us on Twitter at Getting overcast. Since this is a ultimate preview episode, for those of you who may not have heard one yet, you may be a new listener, this is how the show is going to work. At the onset of the of the program, we're going to talk about everything else that happened in WWE that does not have really a direct impact on the pay-per-view. And then the second half of today's show will be that ultimate preview for WrestleMania Backlash. So if you happen to be someone catching the show on Friday or Saturday or even Sunday before the pay-per-view is about to begin, you can check our episode description, find that timestamp, and hop directly into the ultimate preview for WrestleMania Backlash. But we have a ton of stuff to talk about in the world of WWE this week. So with that, I will welcome in vintage Chris Vanini. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chris Vanini, of course. If you want to follow me, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, directly, you can do so at Silverstein Adam. Chris, it has been a pretty solid week, I think, of WWE action. And off the top of the show, I do want to talk once again about SmackDown versus Raw, but not in the way we normally do. Before I get into that, though, did you come out of the last week of WWE feeling any more excited for Backlash as a pay-per-view? Yeah, the the long road to WrestleMania Backlash, as it's famously called, is uh, finally coming to an end here. And there's more there was more time between whatever the pay-per-view preceding WrestleMania was, that there was more time between Mania and Mania Backlash than there was between that pay-per-view and WrestleMania. Yeah, it's it's, it's um, really weird. Yeah, so so it it's it's been a lot and we kind of had some different roadblocks. We had a title match in between and and now we're getting one here. I mean, SmackDown was great again cuz it always is. Raw was I think again watchable after a long stretch that it wasn't so i feel cautiously optimistic i think coming into this uh coming into this kind of stuff it was a solid week i think of of wwe content 
Yeah, cautiously optimistic is fair. That show, by the way, that I was referring to was Fastlane. Uh, how could you forget, of course, the apropos Fastlane pay-per-view? Uh, but yeah, I think cautiously optimistic is where I'm at as well. It's it's tough for me, and we'll get into it in the full preview later in the show. It's tough for me to see a bunch or maybe even any title changes happening at Backlash, and therefore it just kind of feels like it's a filler pay-per-view. But it's really going to be incumbent upon WWE to make sure that it's not. And we'll talk about how they can do that later in the show. First, um, like I said, we're going to talk about everything else that happened in WWE. We're mostly just going to run through it because if it's not important for the pay-per-view, it doesn't mean it's not important overall, but it's just not something that the company is focusing in on too much, uh, you know, over the last few days. And certainly in the remainder of the week, we do have a go-home SmackDown coming up on Friday. But last Friday, we had the throwback SmackDown. So I wanted to do, do some like positives and negatives here. Positives for me, they did an augmented reality fist, which was cool. Michael Cole, I thought was pretty hysterical in his old school long sleeve <laughs> jean yeah. shirt yeah. that he used to wear. And while it was fun to see Pat McAfee dressed as Vince McMahon, I am glad they ultimately didn't go with, I guess, what the original idea was, which was for him to do a Vince McMahon impression for the entire show. That would have probably graded on me and gotten old. I also like the throwback graphics, the blue referee polos, the Ico Pro and the ice cream bar spots, which NXT did longer versions of during In Your House a few months ago. So it kind of just felt like they were throwing it all together and like putting a coat of paint on SmackDown for Fox because Fox was doing a throwback week rather than actively trying to do an old school show. And it's for that reason that I didn't love it. It wasn't thematically correct because they used like the 80s WWE logo and SmackDown didn't exist until 1999. And I thought there'd be more thematic elements to it, like the way the ring looked, the turnbuckles using the old logo. It was all just kind of half-assed for me. So I appreciated like the little bits of it that popped me. But overall, it was a little bit of a disappointment considering we know what they can do when they effort to do it, such as old school Raw when they did that you know, a couple of years ago. That was fantastic. Here, to me, it just kind of was like, all right, it's going to fall flat. And they didn't really do anything to make it actually feel old school, you know, or throwback, other than just like a coat of paint on the entire show. At first, I was not sure why this was happening. And then they explained at the beginning of SmackDown that Fox is doing a throwback week. There was a throwback NASCAR race on Sunday. So then it kind of made some more sense. And along those lines, the fact that it was it was not the throwback was not the theme of the show. And I appreciated that it wasn't a raw reunion. It wasn't a we're going to wasn't a thousandth episode of Smackdown. And that's kind of the theme. It was more just kind of background noise to what was going to be the normal show anyway. And I think that was the right way to handle it. So when you have stuff like the fist is augmented reality instead of real, when you have old school logos that don't really make sense, like you said, with Smackdown because it was 1999. Um, I, w- I was I was fine with that in, in the end. It wasn't it was just uh, I don't know what the right word is, but just uh, window painting or, or whatever that was. It was kind of just in the background. It really didn't take away or add to, I think, what the show was. It was just kind of a thing on the side. And I was fine with it. But I do want to get to a point where attitude where we have a true attitude era throwback show. I mean, they do old school raw and it's you know, early 90s stuff. I want to get the real 1990, late 90s scratch logo, mm-hmm. you know, Raw is War entrance to, uh, intro, that type of stuff. I just wonder at what, at how many years past it do we have to be before that 
for that period gets to be considered retro. That that's why I mean it's been 20 years already. Like I'm old, I feel old as shit when we talk about Raw's war and stuff like that. You know, uh, like for us it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but it's been a long ass time. So I do think that in what you're kind of saying, the old school vibe actually does fit Raw better than SmackDown because SmackDown even though both have been on TV for an exceedingly long time, SmackDown now going on, I guess, 22 years or so. Um, Raw just is the original. And there's more that you can do to throw back. You can throw back, if you remember the uh, the anniversary episode they did where they had the old set with the, you know, the R-A-W and like you walk through it. Um, you can really throw back Raw in more ways than you can SmackDown. But it just, I was really looking forward to this and I'm not saying it was bad. SmackDown was a good show. But while they did throw some like individual little cool items in the show, it didn't feel like the entire show was transformed. Not, I don't need the storylines to be different. I don't need you to change what you're going to do segment by segment. But it just felt like it was like, here's some elements for you to pop you as opposed to like, let's actually effort to take a two hour television program and make it a throwback program. And yes, even with the Thunderdome, you could still accomplish that. So in that way, it was just kind of like, it left me wanting more than it actually delivered. That's really all that I'm trying to say. And you know what? Raw kind of was the same way because I give Raw credit for freshening things up a little bit the last couple of weeks. We talked about this on last week's show by putting other superstars on TV that we hadn't seen in a while, tweaking some storylines. But it doesn't really change the fact that the main event storylines for the men and women, plus that women's tag team storyline, they're really stale and repetitive. The last two weeks have been better than the prior three weeks. But up until like the last five minutes of Raw on Monday night, it was not an exciting go home show. And Raw is still way mediocre compared to SmackDown. The way I look at it is this. When it comes to trying to elevate some of those low carters into mid carters, the key for Raw right now is going to be consistency. It's nice to see Angel Garza and Mansoor and Drew Gulak and these guys on TV, but they need to be having, over the course of the next couple of months, multiple different feuds and not just the same guys facing off six weeks in a row. It's okay if you want to do one feud like that. An Alexander Benjamin feud where clearly there's animosity and they're trying to build something there. And if you do that and you eventually get Alexander over, that's okay. But I do not need to see Angel Garza and Drew Gulak fight three weeks in a row on Raw. And I know they didn't fight this week, but they set up a rematch for next week, it seems. Once that rematch happens, if Angel Garza wins again, move on. Have each of them fight different people and start doing similar, very quick, low-card storylines with others. That's what I want to see Raw start doing. And plus, on top of that, when you look at who it, who Raw is using right now, and you're seeing a Garza and a Mansoor and a Gulak and a Benjamin and, and Alexander, you're not hating that because you want all these people to get on TV because you want them to start using some of this talent. But then you look and you say, where the hell is Ricochet? Where the hell is Mustafa Ali? And it's just maddening to me that even as WWE does actively seem to be trying to make a couple improvements on Raw, they're doing it while forgetting about the, some of the best talent they have on the roster. So I don't know what they're doing on Raw. I don't know why we haven't seen the 24-7 title. Not that I'm itching for it. Trust me, I'm not. Um, but R-Truth still has it on Raw Talk. It's clearly still something that exists in WWE. I don't understand what they're doing. It seems like they're trying to placate people who are sick of the repetitiveness, but at the same time, 
not coming up with anything that's actually that engaging. I, I mean, look, it, it was it refreshing to see Garza and Mansoor and Jinder and more people back the last couple of weeks. It was. I, I, I think the the ground level, the floor of Raw has been raised the last couple of weeks. There, there's not stuff that is completely unwatchable or something you've seen a million times. The problem with Raw is it just doesn't have the star power. It it just doesn't, and they're not presenting it that way. You have Bobby Lashley, who's a champion. He's not leading off Raw. We keep getting either an MVP or a Drew thing or a Charlotte thing or whatever. Bobby Lashley won the title like more than a month ago, and he's often not even shown until an hour into the show. That's not how you promote your champion. If he's going to be your champion, he has to be the focus of the show. They have not built Lashley, I don't think, very well since he became uh, since he defended the title. Edmini, you compare that to SmackDown, and everything revolves around Roman, and they keep telling you how big of a deal Roman is. They keep telling you how big of a deal Cesaro is. They, they add the Uso stuff this week. They had Daniel Bryan there for a while, Kevin Owens. SmackDown has the star power. They have the guys who draw the ratings. I, I mean, I often talk about, you know, the, the YouTube uh, numbers just to see what generally people wanted to go back and watch. And the numbers on Raw stuff this week are pretty brutal across the board. There was, there was I think, one video with more than 500,000 views, and that is uh, the, the, the McIntyre-Lashley match. And I know SmackDown was a few days later, but the Roman-Jimmy Uso segment has 2 million views on 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 YouTube and the Cesaro Rollins match has a million. They're, SmackDown for all of 2021 has done a great job of building people up, telling you they matter. Apollo, Big E, all the tag teams. They 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 do a good job of making these people feel like they matter. So then when they come on their screen, I'm interested. Raw just does not have the star power and it still is not doing a good job of telling us why these people matter. Well it's I mean it's interesting. Like Raw is building Lashley. Like they gave him a fresh coat of paint. They're trying to make him seem really important as the almighty champion. And like, I do give them some credit for that. But yes, to your point, all that happens with Lashley on TV is I can beat anyone. Okay, who's my challenger? And then I'm going to dictate how it is because I'm a businessman and I'm in the hurt business. And you have MVP basically cut the same promo three times in a row and them hire people to attack or hire or try to convince people to attack the challengers. And it's the same thing every week. And three weeks ago, it was Bobby Lashley, the entire show. So to almost to the opposite of your point, Lashley was on like, whole. he was in every other segment and felt like, but nothing happened whenever he was on screen. What's interesting with SmackDown is you don't only have Reigns on the show frequently, but there's storylines happening around and then intertwining with him. Uh, you saw Apollo Crews in his locker room that one time. Eventually, that ended up in a change of gimmick for Apollo Crews. You had the Daniel Bryan stuff with the Edge stuff happening while Jay was fighting his battles. And now Jimmy's back. There's a Jimmy and Jay storyline. There's a Ray and Jimmy, uh, a uh, Roman and Jimmy storyline. Uh, there's, you know, Cesaro involved with it as well. So it just feels like so much more is happening around that champion and that title picture. Where with Lashley, it's just completely boring and stale. And that's largely because they came out of WrestleMania and they said, okay, you're going to go fight a guy that you just fought again. And yeah, we're going to add Braun Strowman to the mix, but you're still going to basically fight that guy twice on television before we even get to that match at the pay-per-view. Rather than build up new contenders for this new fresh champion to beat. You're telling me, Riddle losing the U.S. title couldn't have had a one-month feud with Lashley where he instigates him and annoys him 
and Lashley beats the shit out of Riddle, you know, at the pay-per-view to look stronger as a champion. And then you start building McIntyre or maybe even this exact same triple threat we're getting. You slowly start building this for SummerSlam where you love to have big meaty men slapping meat historically, right? Rather than just give it exactly almost exact same match one month after WrestleMania where the champion, the guy you thought was going to end up losing the title, didn't lose it. And now what are you going to do? You're going to have Drew McIntyre win the title in front of no one when he could have won it in front of 25,000 fans. No, you're probably not. You're probably going to have Bobby Lashley retain it, especially now that it's a triple threat match. So you look at that and you're like, well, why are they even doing it in the first place when I know the result? That's the problem with Raw. It is, we talk on this podcast about sometimes predictable things being good. On Raw, it's incredibly predictable and it's almost never good. And that's the problem with that show. Yeah, no, like like I said, it it th- they've changed things up last couple of weeks to add some good color around everything, but the main event is what carries any show, and it's it's been a bit of a slog for the past few weeks. And it's the main event, by the way. Let's not forget in both matches. So it's the women's main event as well, and that's we can kind of start talking about that a little bit here. But the women's main event, it's the exact same thing. It's a WrestleMania rematch. There was a title change. But plus a third person, Charlotte Flair, who couldn't be at WrestleMania, but who was supposed to be at WrestleMania. So it just seems like we're in this slog of never-ending storylines, and it is getting frustrating to watch. So we're going to talk about everything else that happened on SmackDown and Raw outside of WrestleMania Backlash, which we will do that ultimate preview at the end of the show. I'm going to start with the women's division, though, because this is a bunch of extraneous stuff that doesn't actually matter to the match that's going to be on the pay-per-view card. So on Raw, we had a six-woman tag team match, Asuka, Mandy Rose, and Dana Brooke against Charlotte Flair, Shayna Baszler, and Nia Jax. This whole thing got 15 minutes to start the show. So I liked that. They gave them, they gave it some time. It opened the show. That was pretty cool. But it didn't build to the pay-per-view at all. Alexa Bliss and Lily interrupted a few minutes in by sitting on the stage and saying that Alexa and Lily are watching one of the women in the match. They didn't say who. The finish came as Baszler strangely sold an injured knee and Asuka hit her with a shining wizard for the win. The heels delayed walking up the ramp because Bliss and Lily were there. So I guess Bliss is supposed to be a face who's going after one of the heels. I don't really know. It was some good time for women, but it was unexceptional booking and it was just ultimately a pretty boring segment. Yeah, well, I mean, first first with Alexa, I'm I'm completely out on this until they do something. It's been more than a month now. They're barely inching along to something she hinted like three weeks in a row that she was about to do something and then she shows up on the match and doesn't do anything like just do something um the tag match was fine it was was get get some different people involved with each other which was nice to see we we, we've kind of seen the same people run back so to throw in the the others in a six woman tag helps that finish was really weird with Shayna's knee buckling and then she can't make the tag and then she loses and gets pinned again uh i mean i assume it was i assume it was a work but like that's the kind of thing where like you'd expect her to be out for quite a while if she can't even walk like that um in kayfabe so right like i have no idea what happened yeah it was really weird it, it, yeah it was it was strange it's shana getting pinned again which is really frustrating but the match itself was it was fine and we'll stay with the women we'll just talk smack them really quick carmella faced ruby riot it was nice to have a women's match for once, not based around a title, but I hated literally everything else about this. Ruby didn't get an entrance. She was treated like a jobber. Liv Morgan 
caught Mella cheating. They reversed pinning combinations until Mella, not nearly as good of a wrestler as Ruby, caught her in the cone of silence in a match that barely lasted over two minutes. This was reportedly supposed to be the debut for Mia Yim, but I guess due to time constraints, they decided to delay that to make sure she had more time in a match or something like that. But this was just like, I'm glad, again, I'm glad they had a match that didn't have to do with one of the titles. But if you're giving it two minutes, then there's no reason for it to even be on television. Either right. give these matches five or six minutes at a minimum or or don't even do them because it's insulting to actually do it this way. Yeah, and and I I mean, I think Ruby and Carmella would put together a, a good five-minute yes, match. Car- Carmella's a very good wrestler, too. Um, they're, they're both very talented. So Carmella's improved massively. You just never get to see it. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. You think about her matches with, with Sasha. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, it, I, again, it was nice to see if a, a tag team person in a singles match loses because they're not in a tag team. If we're going to try to build some single stars, if you're going to have some women compete in matches where they're not a tag team, this is a way to do it. Again, just you wish it could get some more time. Yeah, and I am excited. You know, the fact that they planned at least to debut Mia Yim um, reportedly, I think it was PW Insider reporting that, at least that means hopefully that she'll debut soon. So to get another woman, a singles woman involved on SmackDown is a good thing. We also had Tamina against Reginald. In gorilla position, Reginald said Tamina put a bad taste in his mouth last week and he wanted to cleanse his palate. I like that WWE did another intergender match here because at least it was different than seeing Nia Jax or Shayna Baszler again in a singles match, right? Uh, Reginald kept flipping and dodging Tamina. Baszler pushed Tamina on the Superfly Spash for a disqualification as the champions leveled next week's challengers with Jax hitting the Samoan drop on Tamina into the barricade. I liked that single spot. But this also lasted two minutes. And again, it's like, what are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Um, If you're not going to allow Tamina to fight Reginald and get over on him, then what's the purpose in the match? Why are you doing a disqualification finish when you have a woman who could actually benefit from this and wind up have that wind up mattering to your tag team title match next week? They have to change the titles next week. Put them on Natalia and Tamina. Just refresh the division. Change some shit up. And on top of that, as I am alluding to here, the women's booking on SmackDown is absolutely pathetic. Yes, I, I'm with you. Would like a title change. Got to freshen this up. That said, I really like these Reginald intergender matches. He had the one with Sasha and he has the one here. But he, he just doesn't get to do anything. No, he, I mean, he's, he's fun to watch fly around and do different things. He did a backflip from the post, not the yeah. world, the post. Landed on his feet. I hope his knees are okay. But, oh, man, he is he is fun to watch. I like watching him just bounce around people. Then he gets caught and then he gets beat up. Um, I, I would not mind seeing more of him do stuff like that. I, I think it's a refreshing way to, instead of running back the same thing. So uh, that was enjoyable. I, again, you wish it kind of got some more time. But it sets up next week's or this week's title match. And, yes, please change the titles. You got to change something up here. It was the week of the multi-person match in WWE, which used to be an old trope that they stopped doing, but they brought it back. Not only did we have the six-woman tag we mentioned, we had a six-man tag on Raw, and I think we had an eight-man tag on SmackDown, so we can run through those. On Raw, we had RK-Bro and New Day. No, I'm sorry, this was an eight-man tag. RK-Bro and New Day against AJ Styles, Omos, Elias, and Jackson Riker. Riddle and New Day were joking with each other backstage when Orton got all serious about preferring to end careers and set people on fire as his way of making jokes. 
Um, I do like that Riddle and New Day have this ongoing on-screen friendship and that Riddle and Orton keep trying to seemingly break each other, make each other laugh. <laughs> yeah. uh, Elias and Riker were still obsessed over the Rotten Tomatoes three weeks in a row with the effing tomatoes. Uh, do you have anything to say about this before we get to the match? Uh, about the tomatoes? No, no. Or I, 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 Riddle or any of this. Yeah, they're fun. It's fun how he's trying to make Randy become friends with other people. It's fun watching the backstage. Okay, so we got the match. I love the new crossbody frog splash that Kofi does. It's like now one of his signature moves. It's so cool. Uh, Riddle had a great hot tag, but a bro Derek fall attempt got broken up. New Day distracted Omos by spinning Styles outside by his legs. And Orton slithered in the ring with an RKO on Elias for the win. It was a mediocre multi-man match, but I did think the finish was fun and inventive. So I, I give credit to them for that. New Day congratulated Orton, but he didn't like it. So he RKO'd Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. Riddle then yelled at him that they're never going to make any friends if he keeps <laughs> acting like that. It was entertaining stuff overall. RK bro remains great. The match I could have done without. It just wasn't that good of a match. I mean, whatever. It was a match. You had to do it to set up whatever. I mean, we got to have matches on this wrestling show. Not every match is going to be a, a blood feud. Having the match was fine. Um, yeah, I had written down in my notes that part where, where, where uh, Riddle says, how are we going to make friends if you keep doing this? I, I loved it. It was funny. I, 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 they're, they're, they're enjoyable as a team. And Randy can, gets to continue looking like, you know, that Viper himself when he does something like that to his teammates. So this was, this was fun. It was really good. By the way, I love that I was talking about all the multi-person matches and I totally miscounted the numbers for both of the men's matches. So to go back, six-person women's match, eight-man uh, tag team match on Raw, yes. and a 10-man tag team match on SmackDown. We got Apollo Crews, Sami Zayn, King Corbin, and Alpha Academy against Biggie, Kevin Owens, Shinsuke Nakamura, and the Street Profits in a 10-man tag team match. There was a funny backstage interaction with Zayn, Teddy Long, and Sonya Deville. Sammy and Teddy worked really great together. As far as the match goes, Owens hit a frog splash off the ring apron on Zayn. It was a typical 10-man where everyone exchanged signatures and finishes. Owens stunned Cruz, but Chad Gable uh, German suplexed Owens as he was super kicking Otis. Uh, Montez Ford hit one of the craziest Tope Con heroes I've seen in a long time. Otis was like way far back on the ramp and Ford flew out of the ring and there was basically no one there to catch him. So he looked like Superman. It was really cool. And then while all that's happening, Corbin catches Nakamura with end of days for the win, which was a totally random finish, given neither of them are feuding. Um, there was almost no reason for Nakamura to take a loss. There was almost no reason for Corbin to get the win out of all the people in this match where it would have further developed their storylines. It would have been better for Cruz or Zayn to win if you're going to put the heels over because you want one of them you know, to get that bump. Also, they still have seemingly gone away from Sami Zayn with the conspiracy theories, with doing the documentary. It feels like that angle's totally been dropped. So that's disappointing, depressing. I almost made up a new word, disappressing. Uh, this whole thing was okay. Uh, it was really nothing that special. Yeah, this felt like doing too much and none of it standing out as a result. We didn't advance anything. We didn't really add anything. And yeah, it's been a couple of weeks now with not much from Sami Zayn as far as that. And that's kind of disappointing to see um, this kind of just this kind of felt like it was like a holiday edition filler type of match. We had Sheamus fight Humberto Carrillo on Raw in a non-title match. Sheamus got a confident promo about not being stupid like other United States champions by offering title matches to anyone and everyone. It seems like he says that every week. He also took a shot at Adnan Verk being out of his depth on commentary, which I 
I couldn't believe he said that. I thought it was really <laughs> funny. Uh, and and to be fair, we talked about it last week. Adnan this week was also unoffensive to me. I think he's improved significantly. He's learning the moves. He knows all the wrestlers now. I know that's a very low bar, but he doesn't feel out of place anymore. It, he feels like someone who still needs to improve, but it's not actively bad like it had been. Yeah, I, I mean, I... I... I don't love the SmackDown team in general and the three person and the raw team, how it all, or I'm sorry, the, the raw team and, and how it all works together, but not much of that is specific to Adnan anymore. Right. Yeah. He's just not offensive to me anymore. And I hope that he continues getting better and improving as far as the match. Creo countered an avalanche white noise with the hurricane Rana and hit a sunset flip power bomb over the top rope outside, which was a damn cool move. But Sheamus landed right on Creo's left knee instead of between his legs. And Creo also, when he fell down, instead of, I think, landing with his feet, he landed kind of with his ass. And it seemed like he may have hurt his tailbone. So he got injured. He waved at his neck, like put his hand across his neck, telling the timekeeper to stop the match. The referee eventually gets outside. They call the match. And I'm super worried. I'm like, this guy either shattered his knee or maybe he broke his tailbone or his pelvis or something. Guy's finally getting a push. He's doing a super fun move. And he gets hurt out of nowhere. Then there's a report this morning, right before we taped the show, injury-free, he could wrestle tonight, according to Dave Meltzer of Wrestling Observer, and he's fine. So I don't hate him or, or WWE for stopping the match. The most important thing is that these guys stay healthy and don't get injured and, and they don't wrestle, wrestle hurt. That's really the most important. Um, but at the same time, it was so weird to see the match end that way and find out that he's okay, even though that's the best case scenario. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... I, I I mean I don't think they were faking that by any means. I, no, I think no, it was not case. Yeah, yeah, it was clearly a a messed up fall, and and frankly, yeah, just glad everybody's okay. I wasn't even I couldn't even tell who got hurt at first. Was it a career for the way he fell, Sheamus for the way he landed on him, uh, or the way he landed? I, I I don't know. It was it was unfortunate. It was a bit awkward. I thought commentary. You know, Adnan. Speaking of Adnan, I mean, in a situation like that, for the first time, handled it perfectly fine so yep, um, did. nothing stood out so yeah I, it, it was weird good to hear they're okay um and i guess you just kind of move on we had cedric alexander against shelton benjamin in a singles match both got their entrances but they were wearing their black and gold her business tights still which is really funny cedric largely dominated until shelton caught him with a knee on a tope suicida alexander countered pay dirt twice during the match which is shelton's finisher and screamed in benjamin's face talking trash as the clear heel in this feud until Shelton surprised him out of nowhere, throwback style with a T-bone suplex, which he used to use back in the day for the win. I'm fine with this feud. I'm fine with them running this match back for a couple of weeks. I did talk about all these low card feuds, endless rematches and, and just doing the same storyline over and over again. This is the one where I'm okay with it because it's clearly this blood feud between them. Alexander has reason to be upset when he dominated all match but got caught at the end by a veteran. No matter what they do, Alexander needs to be the one to come out on top. He's the young guy. He's the guy who needs the push and the elevation. But the wrestling here was really good and exciting. I thought it was a fun match. And it was honestly one of the better things on Raw in terms of in-ring. Yeah, and, and I'm sure Cedric will come out on top. I, I saw some people on Twitter upset that Cedric will take a loss to Shelton like this. But again, commentary as soon as the match ended said, Cedric had that match, but the arrogance cost him, you know, they, they, right. they, they covered for him and basically said, you know, he clearly was the better one here. He just got caught up 
and lost the match. And that's fine. That can happen, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it, get a couple of matches out of this. It's fine. And I, I, I'm sure Cedric will come out of this on top. Um, so it, it was, yeah, well executed. A vignette aired for Lucha House Party with Lindsay Dorado and Grand Metalik getting a chance to speak and share their background. They actually let Metalik speak in Spanish and use subtitles, which is what we have been talking about them doing with Spanish superstars, anyone from Andrade to Japanese superstars, people like Asuka. For years, I've wanted them to do yeah. this. I loved this vignette. It wasn't anything exceptional. It, it wasn't groundbreaking or anything, but they're giving people a chance to get themselves over on TV. And I got to learn that these guys are not just the stereotypical luchadors uh, in WWE, that is, where they're all about partying and fun moves and all that type of stuff. Despite their name being Lucha House Party, they're taking it seriously and they have business reasons to want to do this and blah, blah, blah. And they want to represent their family on Lucha Libre. This was great. This is all we need. Little things like this, especially when you're not going to have a team or a, a superstar on TV for a few weeks. You like, I don't have a few for them right now. You know what? Let's do 30 to 45 second vignettes of them to allow themselves to get over with promos or packages of them working out. We haven't seen the Viking Raiders in weeks after they just recently came back. You can do this with them next week if you don't have an immediate plan for them. This is stuff you can do. I really appreciated this. And this, even more than putting some of the lower carters on TV, this showed me Raw has figured out that fans are getting really tired of the monotony yeah. and want something a little bit fresh and different. And I really appreciated this. Yes. And this is a great example of when I say you got to show, don't tell, you know, show us those, those, those clips of them wrestling years ago or at NXT and, and stuff like that. And yeah, this is the kind of promo like where I'm interested in these people now compared to what Alexa is doing. And personally compared to what, Alistair Black's doing. These are the kind of things that make me invest in a character. Uh, it, it was very enjoyable, and now I'm interested in them. The next time they're on my screen, the only thing I would have maybe done differently is it was weird that the promo was filmed in front of a black wall or right. Curtain, Give them some background. Or the lighting yeah. was a little weird. I mean, it doesn't need to be in in that ring that they have backstage, but you could. I mean, you could have done this outside. You know, I, I think it would have been interesting too. So. Just a little nitpick there, but no, this is really good and the exact kind of thing they should do with all kinds of people. I mean, I think back to when when AEW started with Dynamite, they had a lot of these kind of fin uh, promo packages. They had Cody telling his path. They had Darby telling his path. And this was the way you got introduced to characters and could invest in them as people. So this was great. It was really solid. Now, on the other hand, they aired two Eva Marie vignettes, first repeating the one from last week. And then adding a new one that happened during a photo shoot that was just a whole bunch of nothing. I don't have any particular affinity for her, but even with that said, these are bad. Like they don't actually explain what her motivation is. Like, yeah, I'm a model and now I'm back where I started and you should like me. Like, like they're really poorly written. They're really poorly delivered. And I just have no idea what their plans are for Eva Maria. If she's a manager and not a wrestler, then I'll be able to stomach it. And I'll be able to kind of say, okay, I'll give it a chance. Let's see what she does. But I just don't see the purpose of bringing her back. And I don't see the purpose of these promos whatsoever. So Lucha House Party, you get a thumb up. The Eva Marie vignettes, at least as far as I'm concerned. Zero. No, I, I mean, I'd put thumb in the middle uh, on the Eva ones. Um, it was weird to see the 
one a second time, just give us a new one. We didn't we didn't need to have two of them. But I, I, I still I still think about her and how they're presenting her. And basically, the point is for us to hate her, whether that's in kayfabe or whether that's a toward the smarts because of, of what she represents. So um, I'm 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 still in the middle on it. I'm excited to see what happens when she comes back. I just hope we don't get, you know, a month of this. That's when things start to get old. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm still I'm still fully open to it. The one thing I do like about Eva Marie is she works a lot of people up. Like yeah. people on Twitter really hate her, but they also give her attention and they view the vignettes when they put them on uh, on Twitter and YouTube and wherever else. So it's pretty funny. All right, a couple more things before we get to the WrestleMania Backlash Ultimate Preview. We had Jeff Hardy against Jinder Mahal in a singles match on Raw. Jinder introduced Veer and Shanky by his side. They apparently debuted on main event last week. Shanky is one of the Indian talents who wrestled on that WWE special recently, while Veer is half of the former Indu Share tag team and the guy better known as Rinku Singh, who was the subject of that Million Dollar Arm movie who has been in WWE developmental for quite a while. Uh, but this match, holy shit, it was slow. It was terrible. Jinder was completely unchanged from when we last saw him, which was a version of him that was worse from when he was actually WWE champion. He won with the Coloss. The match was really bad. I'm glad to see Jinder back and healthy because they tried to bring him back a year ago and he hurt his knee in that first match back. But when we talk about using more talent that's backstage. We're talking about Ali and Ricochet. We're not talking about Jinder Mahal. You want to talk about a guy who can totally be on main event? Jinder Mahal is a guy who can be on main event with those two other dudes, Shanky and Veer. Let them dominate. You want to put them on Raw for an open challenge for United States Championship or do something like that here and there. That's totally fine. But this group, these three dudes are not a mid-card group. This is not something I want to see on Raw frequently, and it has nothing to do with these three as individuals. It is just that Mahal modern-day Maharaja character. It is dead in the water. They pushed him too far, too fast as WWE champion. They tried to reel it back when he lost the title. It just didn't work, and now they've just given him two different guys, and it's a total rehash of the old gimmick. And they had him, Jinder Mahal, beat Jeff Hardy without these two monsters at ringside getting involved in any way. They didn't threaten Hardy. They didn't prevent him from attacking Mahal on the outside. They didn't interfere in the match itself. Nothing happened. They just had multi-time former WWE champion Jeff Hardy lose to Jinder Mahal clean. This sucked. I don't have any desire to see Jeff, Jeff Hardy jobbed out, and I don't want to see Mahal on Raw every week. It's just as simple as that. I disagree. I love Jinder. I love the modern day Maharaja. I love seeing him back. I the fact that, like you said, he won without any interference. Like I was like, well, what's oh, the? What are they huh. going to build this into? Like, what is <laughs> the? No, what is I, the ceiling? I don't. For I don't have. I don't have faith in Raw to get much of anything right. But I, I, I like. I like seeing gender. I don't know. I, I don't know if I like the reaction that he draws, kind of in the in the Eva Marie type of way. But I don't know. It's when not the Eva like, Marie reaction. It's the meh. It's like the mediocre. I, I, I don't oh, know. here's Jinder I, I again. It. I, I, I liked it. I love his entrance music. I love his entrance. I I, I love his entrance. His entrance is great. <laughs> I I like seeing Jinder. I don't know why. I just I just kind of do. Um, uh, our, our friend Jack Crosby uh, t- tweeted um, when he showed up something along the lines of 
uh, WWE has finally figured out how to fix the ratings. Uh, I think he's a big fan of gender too. I, I don't know. I liked it. it. It wasn't much. I mean, it's not I the gender. I'm not saying I'm not saying make gender the WWE champion, but I don't know. I like I like watching him. I just do. The gender Mahal love is all what's called vote for the worst. So uh, <laughs> Howard Stern, Howard Stern, like I don't know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, whatever. They did a campaign when that guy Sanjaya was on. Um, yeah. American what show? Idol. American Idol, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, where he he got his listeners, he had millions of listeners. At, he was, he, I think he was on terrestrial radio at the time to all call and vote in and vote Sanjaya for America. Uh, not, I almost said America's Got Talent because he was host of that show for America Idol, American Idol. So I'm not a big American Idol fan, if you guys can tell. I'm, I'm struggling here. But anyway, so they kept voting for this guy Sanjaya and he kept advancing for no reason. It's the same here with gender. People laud him on Twitter. I don't hinder gender. We love seeing him. But it's not because they actually like him. It's just like a vote for the worst type of scenario. And I do not hate this guy. I respect him massively for building himself back up into a situation where he got another chance in WWE. Very similar to the way Drew McIntyre did. And not only that, Vince did try to strap the rocket to him and get the, you know, promotion for India going by making him WWE champion when he was, I believe it was on SmackDown. But ultimately we learned it didn't work. And now to bring him back, I don't care that you bring him back. That's great that he's back. But to not refresh his gimmick at all, to not allow him vignettes or to cut a promo that puts him over in any way that gets you excited for his return and to just put him back on TV with two new dudes, not have any motivational aspects for them and just then have him beat Jeff Hardy. For me, it's a zero, and as Oscar would say, this is a crap. So that's everything else that happened this week on SmackDown and Raw. Up next is indeed the WWE WrestleMania Backlash Ultimate Preview. But you know, Chris, before we get to that, we always crack a cold beer and talk about our craft beer selections when we do our instant analysis pay-per-view episodes. But we never actually talk about what we drink when we do the normal shows or these Ultimate Previews. I don't know about you, but I am a water guy like 95% of the time, unless there's a great sweet tea around, or if I happen to be eating pizza, I'll have a Coke or something like that. But I am a water guy, and I'm actually very particular about the type of water I drink. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not someone who typically has been particular about water, but I got to say, when you get a good water, you notice it. It's kind of like pizza. Like pizza's pizza, but the, the the really good pizza's on another level. And obviously it's the same thing with water. Like you'll eat a piece of pizza if you're out somewhere and there is pizza, but good pizza, you're going to go back for it and you're going to tell your friends about it. My rules for water are pretty simple. So the first is that spring water, what I like to call natural water, is truly superior to purified water. And any water that is sold basically from soda companies, and you know the brands I'm talking about when I say that, it can literally go straight into the trash. Maybe not the trash, but we'll water some plants or something with it. I'm not going to drink it. It's not going down my throat. But then I experienced something pretty interesting when I was at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. And that was spring water in cans, not plastic bottles. And let me tell you, an ice cold can of water sounds weird maybe at first. It is absolutely epic. So imagine my excitement, dude, when Liquid Death reached out to us and said they wanted to send us a couple cases of water. My first thought, of course, was what's with that freaking name? <laughs> Liquid Death, right? But it's actually a pretty fun gimmick because it's all about their water murdering your thirst. 
And the cans and artwork looks pretty damn cool. And it's all thematic. It all kind of works together. So look, they hooked it up, right? They sent us a couple 12 packs, one of their flat water, one of their sparkling water. And I said straight up to them, look, I am a harsh water critic. I'm going to shoot it straight. But let me tell you, dude, I put this in the back of my fridge to get ice cold. I love water, not just when it's cool or when it's warm, but when it is ice freaking cold. And this is legitimately no BS, the best water I've ever tasted. Forget spring water, it's mountain water from the Australian Alps. They get it stone cold straight from the mountain and they put it in like those 16.9 ounce tall boy cans where you get those really large beers. So I get the natural mountain water. I get the cans I like. They're tall boy, so you're good to go with just one of them. You don't need you know two. You get basically more than two cups of water in one single can. It's insanely crisp and refreshing. I honestly can't stop drinking it. There's certain stuff in like the beverage industry that's all gimmick, right? And you see it all the time. But Liquid Death is straight up to me, great clean water, way better than all that overpriced crap out there. Yeah, no, first off the name. I love the name. I, I got the packs. I, it's got this cool like skull on it. It, it kind of looks like uh, something you'd see at like a tattoo parlor or something like that. Or like a, right. On like a bottom of a skateboard or something like that. I, lo- I, I love it. Like really lean into it. Murder your thirst. You're getting the point across. I, I know what you're trying to do. I'd never had canned water before this. I mean, you said you had it a couple of years ago. I'd never had it. I, get, I grabbed some, put them in the fridge. I said, all right, we'll see what, how, how these are in a little bit when they, when they, when they, when they get cold. Crack it open. And man, when it when it touches your your lips and your tongue, you realize, oh, this is a different kind of water. Right. This it's a different kind of cold, too. And it was it it was delicious. It's weird to say about water. But yeah, it's it's one of the it's it's probably the best water I've ever had. And that's not something I'd ever thought I would say. Right. Like, when are you going to go out on a limb, really, and say this is the best water I've ever had? But that is legitimately what I thought about it. The the sparkling is really good. I prefer flat water. The flat water, the mountain water is absolutely fantastic. And the other thing that's really cool about Liquid Death is it actually donates 10% of all profits from every can to nonprofit organizations that kill plastic pollution. So they're not only, you know, pushing the can, but they're anti-plastic, which is for me particularly very cool. Most of the plastic bottles out there, right? They can't even be recycled. Like they, the, the, even the recycling company, they take them, they end up throwing them in the trash while aluminum is infinitely recyclable. And that's on top of, for me, the water being outstanding. So like, I'm not BSing when I say liquid death straight up won me over. It's going to be that no brainer pick for me. Like if I'm in a 7-Eleven and they have it there, which they do, I'm grabbing one of those instead of one of those competitor brands. They sell it in cases at major chains like Whole Foods Market and Sprouts Farmers Market as well. But what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to go to liquiddeath.com where they have ridiculous deals for bulk pricing. You can get like four cases at a huge discount. But I asked them, I'm like, look, I love your water. I told you I wouldn't guarantee that I would say that. But since I do, can you give me a special offer for our listeners, the Getting Over listeners? Because I want everyone else to try this water. They obliged. So check this out, dude. All you have to do is put at least one case in your cart at liquiddeath.com, add a koozie two-pack to your cart, and they have a bunch of different varieties, including a set that kind of looks like paper bags, like you're trying to conceal what you're drinking, so I think that's funny. Use the code GETTINGOVER, all caps, one word, GETTINGOVER, at checkout, and the two-pack of koozies is absolutely free as a special gift. And it's totally worth it because the cans, they have the standard circumference, so you can use the koozies not only for liquid death, 
but for any tall boy that you happen to be drinking, no matter the variety. But liquid death is what I want you to be drinking with it. Look, straight up, it's a great water. These are great deals. It's a fun name. You're going to tell your friends, hey, I'm drinking a liquid death. Do you want one? They're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, it's the best water I've ever had. That's what I'm talking about. I'm all in for it. I support liquid death in the best possible way. Yeah, man. Give it a try. If you've never had canned water, next time you're at the store, you're you're thinking about grabbing some case of bottled water or something like that. Grab, look up liquid death, go to the website, buy that instead. You will understand what we're talking about when you say canned water, liquid death. It 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 hit it's it's a little bit different. It hits different. It hits different. It does. And look, if the folks at Liquid Death are listening to this, I have a huge pantry, right? You can send me like a thousand cases of that mountain water. I'm gonna pile it to the ceiling. And it's gonna be the only thing I drink. Uh, Liquid Death, stone cold water. I highly, highly recommend it. So with all of that out of the way, it is finally time for our WWE WrestleMania Backlash Ultimate Preview. And since I don't have another separate sound effect for this. And if you guys have one, please let me know. I'll happily use it. Um, I'll just go and say we're sliding into the main event of today's show. As we are going to break down all six matches on this pay-per-view card in depth. Now, you all know the way we do it on this podcast, the ultimate preview, we work from the bottom of the card to the top of the card. On Sunday, immediately after WrestleMania Backlash goes off the air, we will have instant analysis of the pay-per-view. Minutes after, you will be able to listen to us break down every single match. We do that the opposite way. We work from the biggest match, usually the main event, down the card. So let's get into this ultimate preview. We're going to talk about everything that happened in these storylines on SmackDown and Raw, and then we will provide a pick and prediction before we get out of here. So let's start with the newest match on the card. Damian Priest against The Miz. This was explained on Raw as being made at Priest's request, despite the fact that he's already beaten both of these guys, Miz and John Morrison, one-on-one. Priest offered a stipulation challenge, and John Morrison accepted it on Miz's behalf. Miz was not happy about that. As far as the match goes, Morrison was flipping and rotating. He was doing some cool stuff when Priest caught him with a huge uppercut. Corey Graves, by the way, mentioned the video game Virtua Fighter, (laughs) <laughs> which popped me in a major way. I have not heard that game's title in a long ass time. And I'm one of the very few people who used to own a Sega Saturn when Virtua Fighter first <laughs> came out. I freaking loved that game. Are you, you I'm familiar with it? I'm no? familiar with it. I could I, I cannot say I've played it, but I've heard about it before. Absolutely just totally popped me reference out of nowhere. Anyway, Priest had a couple near falls after his signature moves. Miz distracted the referee and Morrison almost won with a crucifix. But Priest came back with Hit the Lights. That was Morrison's 10th straight singles loss in more than a year. He has not won a singles one-on-one match in WWE since the month he returned in January 2020. Priest uh, then later backstage for his stipulation picked a Lumberjack match. Ultimately, I'm fine with this being on the pay-per-view to fill out the card as long as this is actually something that ends their feud and allows Priest to finally move the hell on. Bad Bunny's not there anymore. That storyline on its own lasted three months. It's now continuing after the pay-per-view. Priest has to step up to a mid-card championship or at least a mid-card feud with someone, not that's more legitimate than The Miz, but that can give him a better feud than maybe The Miz has. This match should be exciting. Um, It probably will include a lot of interference from whoever the Lumberjacks are. But no matter what happens at the pay-per-view, Damian Priest 
has to win clean, and I'm going to predict him to win clean. Yeah, I, I mean, this was this has been a long story, but I think it's been fine. And we needed, you know, Priest didn't get much of a shine out of WrestleMania because Bad Bunny was so good and took up all the attention. It's been good to see Damian Priest rack up some wins since then going into this match, which I will also pick him to win. And yes, move on to something else after this. Um, lumberjack match as the stipulation. If if I remember correctly, that's the same stipulation that uh, Miz lost the championship to Bobby Lashley. Is that right? I believe so. So we've got another one of those uh, here. Just came to mind. Um, also, shout out to John Morrison for his hair. Yeah. <laughs> on Raw, he had drip and drip. I, I think on both sides, he had drip in his hair, like literal written in his hair. Um, he's... He he remains incredibly funny. He's he's the the kind of the deadpan humor guy, uh, going leaning very very heavily into Johnny Drip Dip. I find it really funny. I hope uh, I hope he does something interesting at some point out of this. Like you mentioned, he's Owen Ted Owen Ted in singles matches. Uh, so the pick is Priest, but um, I I I've, I've enjoyed this feud even post Bad Bunny. Yeah, I don't want to make it sound like I haven't enjoyed it. I just am done with it. Like I'm ready for Priest to move on in kayfabe and actually work against someone else for a change. That's my biggest um, detraction from it. It's like, okay, yeah, he's had, I think, occasional matches. Maybe he fought Elias or Riker or something like that. But his feud primarily since debuting on Raw has been with Miz and Morrison. And it's that was like four months ago at this point. So it's really just time for him to move on. And we also, now the other five matches I should note are all championship matches on this pay-per-view. But not every championship is on the line. In fact, Neither mid-card title is on the line. The Women's Tag Team Championship and the Raw Tag Team Championship are also not being defended on the show. So let's break down the other five matches. We have a SmackDown Tag Team Championship, Dirty Dogs against the Mysterios. On SmackDown, we had Ziggler against Dominic Mysterio in a singles match. Ziggler tore down Dominic for not belonging in the ring, the industry, or WWE. So he basically took Ray's place in the match. It was originally scheduled to be Ray Mysterio against Dolph Ziggler. It was a short match, and Dominic caught Ziggler with an inside cradle for the surprise win. I'd personally prefer to see Dominic lose more often. It's not a bad thing for a neophyte, a guy who didn't even come up through NXT, to get beat by a former world champion like Dolph Ziggler. And I think it gives some additional dynamic to Ray trying to bring his son along and teach him. For me, Dominic wins a little bit too often, especially against guys, even though it's a roll-up or an inside cradle in this situation. Even against guys in a scenario like this, and I know Ziggler seems to be happy to put people over, but they're the champions. I don't think it really hurts for Dominic to lose a singles match to one half of the tag team champions. This was a fine spot to have him lose. The fact that he won, I guess it's okay, but it does kind of change a little bit how I think about the match. And... and I think your larger point about Dominic is true, but I really liked this whole segment. I like Ziggler cutting a promo during his entrance at the beginning of a match. Kind of like we don't get enough of that in wrestling. Like that, a promo right before a match sets up the story for the match. It's like classic wrestling fundamentals. So they set it up. Ziggler runs him down saying he doesn't belong here, saying he's not good enough. He gets energetic, decides to take the spot, catches the bad guy with a roll up. It's it's very simple storytelling. And I really liked it. It, it. it it added a little bit before the match to see Ziggler say all that stuff. So I love this segment. As for what it means for the uh, 
the the, the match on Sunday, I guess we kind of got to see what happens this week. I, I I don't know if the Dirty Dogs get over on him this time when we go into it. I don't know, but uh, do we want to make picks on it now? You go ahead. Yeah. Uh, ooh, uh, uh, this is tough because the Dirty Dogs have won several times when we picked them to lose, and this feels like another time. Before you make your pick, let me yeah. ask. Let me let yeah. me let me lay a, a general statement about this pay per view. Yeah. It seems like no title should change hands, should change hands on the pay-per-view. And on an overview of these matches, how many title changes do you actually think we're going to get before you give your pick for this? I think out of the five, I think we could see two. I think we're at seriously one or zero. So that is at least our mindset as we go into making these picks so everyone is aware. And I don't love that. I don't, not, not that I want to see three title changes out of five or anything like that, but when I go into a pay-per-view and I don't believe any of the titles would change hands, that's a concern for the show itself. Sure. In my and, 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 and that, this no matter is what, what the booking is. And this is coming off of a, a mania in which we had a lot of title changes. So, and a lot of heels walking out as champion, yes. which is a very rare development, yes. especially considering that's a pay-per-view that had a crowd. And this one is one, let's remember, that will not have a crowd in yes. attendance. But... The SmackDown tag team belts were not one of those defended on WrestleMania. They were so, not. I, the thing is, I ultimately think Ray and Dominic become tag team champions. I just felt like it was going to happen at a bigger moment, but I, I think it needs some refreshing. I'm going to go with the Mysterios winning here. So because I still have that same feeling, and I thought they were going to win the titles at WrestleMania. They ended up putting it on that SmackDown go home show. I if they just feel like they need to make the title change and they want to put the titles on the Mysterios for one reason or another, I can see them doing it here. But if I'm booking it, and I I think WWE is smart enough to know, SummerSlam is not that far away. And they can move the Mysterios into a different feud, maybe have them feud with Gable and Otis and move Street Profits back into this. But it just seems like they got to figure out a way to delay this. Because what you want is Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio to win the tag team titles, no matter who they win them off. You want them to do it in front of a crowd. Right. And when you miss that opportunity at WrestleMania, to then have it happen on Backlash, forget, forget even the fact that there's no fans in attendance, but a B-level show to have Rey Mysterio and his son become the first father-son champions in WWE history, it seems like a bad spot to do it. So... For all non-storyline reasons, I'm going to pick the Dirty Dogs to retain. But based on storyline, the Mysterios probably should win, if that makes sense. No, that does, I'm in the same boat. I, I, I think them winning it at SummerSlam would be great, so maybe they lose here and come back in a couple months. I I, I don't know. I just I, I'm, yeah. I, I keep being surprised the Dirty Dogs have held on as long as they have, and they've done a good job. I just, I've been um, pleasantly surprised. That they, I just... I. Have. I'm, um, I don't know, like you, I, I'm picking the faces to win one of these titles. I think the better booking would have been the Street Profits not having lost the titles, losing them to the Dirty Dogs at the pay-per-view at, at WrestleMania or on the SmackDown before WrestleMania. And then this is all fresh and you can move it up until SummerSlam. But yeah, it's just, it's strange the way they did this. SmackDown needs one more tag team. They have four right now and they have two faces and two heels and that's going to lead to stagnant booking. Whereas over on Raw, they basically have seven, which is pretty impressive that they've actually slowly started building up seven teams. But SmackDown could use one more, just a team that can mix things up a little bit, provide a different challenger for whoever the champions are, and allow some of these other teams to breathe. Because you're not going to have Otis and Gable 
fight the Dirty Dogs heel versus heel for the titles, at least SmackDown wouldn't. That may happen in NXT. It would not happen on WWE main roster. So this division needs to get freshened up a little bit. But I do have the Dirty Dogs coming out. We both have the Dirty Dogs no, coming out. I, I have the Mysterios. I'm oh, you do? Mysterios. I'm sorry. Yes. My bad. Yep. I misunderstood. So we're split here. I have the Dirty Dogs retaining. He has the Mysterios winning the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. Let's move on to the Raw Women's Championship where we have Rhea Ripley defending in a triple threat against Asuka, her WrestleMania opponent, and Charlotte Flair, who was supposed to be Asuka's WrestleMania opponent. Uh, we had Ripley against Asuka on Raw in a singles match. Flair was shown backstage speaking with Sonya Deville who she convinced to make the match. Ripley was pissed. Flair joined on commentary. Asuka countered Riptide with a codebreaker. Flair distracted each woman once during the match. Asuka hit Ripley with a hip attack off the commentary table, but Ripley caught another one in the ring, hitting a roundhouse kick, and then Riptide for the win with no interference from Charlotte. So Ripley has now beaten Asuka clean twice. Why is Asuka in this triple threat match getting another title opportunity? That to me is just nonsensical booking. Yes, the setup to this match has been extremely weird. Um, but at the same time, I've been complaining that since winning the title, they have not been giving Rhea many opportunities to look great. And so they did it on Raw. They just they did, did it. They did it in a way that kind of negates the purpose of the match, <laughs> of, of they, the championship match. They could have had Ripley beat so many other people on Raw yeah. and, and had her look good. They could have had her against Nia Jax or Shayna Baszler um, they could have brought back Nikki Cross to have her beat to have her beat Nikki Cross, Mandy or Dana. I know those women were involved in that six woman match, but in all these weeks, they could have had Rhea Ripley doing some of these things. They just have chosen not to. And to, to something you've said for the last couple of weeks, Charlotte Flair is somehow the biggest part of this storyline. When Rhea Ripley, as a rookie, is basically a rookie, at least a rookie full timer on the main roster, is your new Raw Women's Champion. She's not being treated anywhere near the way that Bianca Belair is over on SmackDown. So when it comes to this match, Chris, I think a case can be made for Charlotte winning the title. There is no case, in my opinion, for Asuka winning the title back. She had the championship for the better part of a year, did a great job, even though Raw did not do a good job booking her as the women's champion. So a case can be made for Charlotte Flair winning. And I think there'd be a lot of heat on her, both in reality and in kayfabe, for her beating Rhea Ripley one month after she finally won the title at WrestleMania. And then, yes, you could stretch that feud out until SummerSlam and have Ripley win the title back off Flair at SummerSlam. I can see that happening. But, man, they got to know their lessons. They got to learn lessons occasionally. And to put the title on Ripley at WrestleMania in front of fans and take it off of her one month later, it's just bad booking. So despite me thinking that Flair could, from a storyline standpoint, win and have it make sense. I just think that they had to have learned some type of lesson since I believe the women's tag team championships are going to change on Friday on SmackDown. I think Ripley's going to have new challengers in Baszler and Jax. I'm going to have Rhea Ripley retaining the title. I have Charlotte winning. And I think in the larger picture of all the title, all the titles she's had, I think she's at like what? 13 or 14 already it's tough but she over the last month has been doing maybe the best work of her career she's the top heel in this Rhea is technically a heel I think it's supposed to be <laughs> but but Charlotte has been the focus of this and she's been carrying this and she's been carrying her carrying herself like the champion this feels like one of those situations where 
Charlotte wins the title and holds it for like a year or something like that based on this character where she's basically the, the female Roman Reigns in the story. So I think it'll frustrate a lot of people for a lot of good reasons, but I think they're going to go, they're going to, they clearly they've been trying to revert back to what they originally wanted to do around WrestleMania. And I think that's what they do again. And I, I, I guess I'm picking Charlotte here. Like they make the change here and yeah. Flair beat Oscar basically. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then I don't know what, where you go with then with Ripley, but it's the kind of, I think rain, because if Charlotte loses this, then everything, then where does she go? I, I, I don't know. And where does Ripley go if she loses? She, she can just on the war to get the title back. Over. I mean, she's the champion, but like I said, she's being treated like she ain't no big deal. So I think there's still a lot of room for her to grow, even if it's without a title. That's just my concern. Like, it's one thing if she had a two month run or a three month run and you take the title off of her as a first time champion. And, you know, she just has to prove that she needs to kind of get back into that zone. And she does it by SummerSlam. I understand that booking. And I, I'm I'm with that. But it's been one month and you and. You've already kind of botched her re-debut, right. her debut which, on which the main is, roster. Which is why I think even taking the title off of her wouldn't be the most damaging thing because it's not like she's at some she's not at some level where it's going to hurt her all that much. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, again, I think there's merit to having Flair win. So if they do that, I'm not mad if they do it. Uh, people will be pissed if they do that. Yeah, I won't be because it'll make some kayfabe storyline sense. And it makes reality sense because clearly the goal was to put the title on Flair at WrestleMania. It was going to be Lacey Evans, then it was going to be over Asuka. But to do it at WrestleMania Backlash and then have Flair reign as the champion with Sonya Deville, I guess, in her back pocket. Again, storyline-wise, makes sense. I just think it would really damage Rhea Ripley, and I hope they've at least figured out that that is not in their best interest. I'd rather them almost have Charlotte feel that she got screwed out of this, get a one-on-one match with Ripley at the next pay-per-view in June, whatever the hell that's going to be, and then have her win it. That way Ripley gets at least a two-month run. And then there's a still a two-month gap before we get to SummerSlam. But look, we'll see. I think there is merit to Flair winning, like I said repeatedly. But I just, if it's me, I'm not taking the title off Ripley, and I don't think they're going to. It would be really stupid for them to. Uh, we'll move over to the men. The WWE Championship, also a triple threat match. Bobby Lashley against Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman. MVP was in the locker room trying to convince Braun to take out McIntyre and make his title match at Backlash easier. MVP and Lashley later cut their standard promo backstage, as did McIntyre, and then Strowman approached Lashley backstage before the match, but we don't know what they said. As far as the match goes, they ended up having uh, Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre one-on-one that was promoted for an entire week. Let's just be honest. This is kind of what we want, right? This was very good. Big meaty man slapping me. There was no water in this. There was no bread. It was just meat. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. Lashley looked like a beast. McIntyre dodged a spear and tossed Lashley into the corner to start a big comeback. MVP tried to distract Drew with his cane like he did at WrestleMania. Lashley countered a Claymore with a crossbody, but McIntyre shocked him with a Claymore. And just as we're thinking McIntyre is about to pin the champion, Strowman's music hits, and then he attacks McIntyre from behind and hits him with a running power slam. Strowman then helps Lashley up, hits him with a running power slam. Then he hits McIntyre with a second one. That's three total. Then he picks Lashley up outside the ring and drives him into and through the barricade with a fourth overall running power slam. 
before coming back into the ring and hitting McIntyre with his third and his fifth overall. So as boring as the booking has been in this entire feud, I actually really liked this match, really liked the finish, and really liked the post-match a lot, actually. As I said, it was all meat. And I'm fine with a DQ finish also because it was booked well. McIntyre hit his finisher on the champion, Lashley didn't lose, and Strowman looked as strong as he's looked in a long-ass time. I thought it was the best end to Raw in months, even though we basically know because he was the guy on top at the end of the go-home show, there's no way Braun is going to win the title at Backlash, even though we kind of knew that anyway. But besides all of that, I was like energized by the last five minutes of Raw and actually said, holy shit, that was all really cool. So kudos to them for sending me home on a good note. Yeah, I saw on Twitter, you were really into that finish. I liked uh, it. Yeah, I, I, I think overall, kind of in the abstract, hey, you got to see them throw each other through some barricades and knock each other around. And that's what we wanted the match. So that was good. There, there was just the way the match finished was very weird to me. For one, Drew gets distracted by music. He never used to be made to look like an idiot like that. When, when he was on his run last year, one thing we loved about him was that he was a smart face. He didn't right. get distracted by those kinds of things. He knew the tropes that were coming. So for him to get distracted and and uh, by, by, by Braun's music and run to the ropes and say, come on, was very, I don't know, uh, out of character for him. It's the failures they have with most faces yes. that they had avoided for a long time with Drew, but have over the last like three or four months really fallen into yep. those tropes. Yep, yep, yep. And then the other thing is I just, I really didn't get the point of the finish. It was weird. They made a deal. I don't, it didn't really matter in the end. So I don't really, I don't want to overthink it too much. In, in the end, we got a bunch of guys beating each other up and that's what we want to see in the match. But uh, a couple things with just how the match, how the match ended was a little weird. But then I think they made up for it with the with the little post-match. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, I really liked it. I, maybe it was just I expected Raw to end on a crap note. And because it didn't, and it was something that was beefline in the ring and exciting and, you know, and Strowman kind of looking pretty dominant like he used to look, which he hasn't looked in a very long time. Um, it's something I like. Now, as far as the match goes, again, we're in this situation where you just put the title on Lashley a couple months ago. You did allow him, unlike with Rhea Ripley, where it's only been one month. With Lashley, it's been about seven weeks. You allowed him to have a WrestleMania moment. You could change the title to Drew McIntyre and have it make a lot of sense. But I think having Strowman in this match gives McIntyre an excuse that allows Lashley to not pin McIntyre. And I just think that we have to have, or at least I have to have, Bobby Lashley retaining the title here. My biggest concern of that happening is if Bobby Lashley retains... Now McIntyre gets the excuse, well, you didn't pin me and I want to challenge you. And then this same exact freaking feud continues at least another month with McIntyre going after Lashley again. They need to move on. They got to change up the main event card. Like they, they got to, they actually have to freshen things up. But other than that being an issue, that's where I stand. I think you have to have Bobby Lashley retain the title again, because if you're not going to have Drew win the title in front of a crowd, why are you going to have him win it here on Backlash? It's the same thought as the Mysterio storyline. Yeah, I I have Lashley winning, but I also want Lashley to be a bigger part of the show open, like moving forward. Like, I think that just he needs to be cast in a different way. I, it doesn't feel right for Drew Braun to win the title. 
Lashley's got to go on to something else after this, and I don't really know what it is. And we'll get and Drew into, does too. And yeah, and we'll get into it after on the post show on on Sunday. What exactly comes next once we see what happens? But yeah, my my pick is Lashley here. This doesn't seem like uh, I, I can only totally see Lashley pins Braun, and Drew says I get another shot because I didn't get pinned. Would be very very annoyed if that happens. So part of me is like, I hope Lashley pins Drew so we can definitively end this. Uh, so we'll see. WWE has to figure out a way, and this is really on both shows, but on Raw in particular, to create more main event level or main event feeling feuds that don't revolve around the championship. Because right now, Drew McIntyre, if he loses this or if they move him on from the title picture, there's really zero clear direction for him, like nowhere for him to go. For a time, Raw was using The Fiend in this role, where if you weren't in the title picture, but you wanted to have a major feud, You could be in it with The Fiend. But with him not even around, and obviously that being a a crutch and and us not really liking what they've done with The Fiend recently, you got to figure out another way to get people over in that regard. Strowman is someone who has been able to have those types of feuds. The Undertaker back in the day. Kane uh, way back in the day before he became somewhat a comical version of himself. Uh, Those were all superstars that allowed that. On the women's side, Bailey and Sasha Banks and uh, Charlotte Flair, they can have main event level feuds without the title being in the picture, but WWE just doesn't do it. So what I want to see happen more than what I care about the match result, I want to see Lashley retain, but I want to see these guys move on and I want WWE to really freshen this shit up. And looking at the Raw roster right now with Orton and Riddle both involved in a tag team picture and with Sheamus as the United States champion, and Keith Lee not being there and not being cleared to wrestle, there's a major lack of main event and mid-card singles wrestlers that are actually legitimate threats to go after these titles. Man, I would love it if they built up Ricochet to something like that. But Ricochet can't go from low-card nothing to challenge Bobby Lashley. There's got to be steps involved. So Raw is really weirdly formatted from a roster standpoint right now, and I don't know how they fix it. Yep, that's exactly what I said at the beginning of the show, is that Raw doesn't have the main event guys. And so we'll see. I don't know. I'm not Like sure. Sheamus can be that, but you have him on a mid-card title where you could have otherwise had mid-card people go. Like, there's no reason the United States Championship could not be contested right now between a combination of Ali, Ricochet, Carrillo, Mansoor eventually, and some other mid-card guys, half of tag teams who want to get opportunities. Uh, Cedric Alexander eventually, Shelton Benjamin. That's probably what the U.S. title should be used for right now, where you have the Sheamuses and the Ortons and the and the Riddles still kind of going after the, the world championship in some type of rotation. But right now, it just feels very stale on Raw. So, you know, we do agree here on Bobby Lashley. We're split on the women. I said Ripley. You said Flair. We're split on the SmackDown tag team. I said Dirty Dogs. You said Mysterios. And we agree on Damian Priest. So two agreements and two disagreements through the first four. That leaves us with two more matches on our WrestleMania Backlash Ultimate Preview. We'll go to the SmackDown Women's Championship. Bianca Belair defending against Bayley. On SmackDown, Bayley honored former women's champions um, with like a little video package. And she talked about Belair last out of all of them. Bayley said she saw insecurity in Belair and would be her first and last challenger when she took the title at Backlash. Belair came out and said her confidence is what bothers Bayley and she should worry about herself instead. Bailey laughed in her face and tried to take Belair down, but got caught. Bailey then ripped off her hoop earring, grabbed her ear, and stepped on her braid before hitting the rose plant. The segment, to me, felt a little bit forced, 
but it did get the job done of at least creating a little bit of storyline where previously they just announced the match almost out of nowhere after a very short backstage interaction the week prior. And they've basically given them no time on TV. So I hope they get a lot more time this coming Friday, but this wasn't the best segment last Friday on SmackDown. No, and, and kind of the whole feud in general, it's kind of weird to have Bianca go directly from Sasha to Bailey. But to the point we just made, I think Bailey's at that level where she can get title matches no matter what. And you kind of just accept it. And and, and so I, I wish there had been more of a story leading into it. But I think it also kind of points us in the direction of where this match is going to go. True. But it does feel like, again, Bailey is more of a SummerSlam feud. Like there's not much of a good reason. I understand Natalia right. and Tamina are busy, so that's okay with them. But you could have built something up with Carmella or Ruby Riot or Liv Morgan to give her an in-between feud. Preferably in this case, Carmella, because she was most recently a challenger. She couldn't beat Sasha, but you know now she wants to reclaim her spot. So she decides to go after Bianca Belair. That would have been a perfect backlash match. But instead, we just have Bailey in this role. And it's like, well, this is something that should have been built up over the last couple of months, not or over a couple of months or at least a few weeks rather than something they're just kind of throwing together for a mid-level pay-per-view. In fact, it's exactly what we talked about last year, right after Drew McIntyre won the title, where he immediately fought Seth Rollins and immediately fought AJ Styles in one-month feuds and beat both of them, and there was no build, and you're like, well, these should be bigger matches at other pay-per-views, and instead they kind of just threw them away with the B-level shows. And WWE does that all the time. They've done it with Roman Reigns and John Cena, and they've done it with the Shield triple threat, like Battleground or some shit like that. You, your big matches, you got to build up to big shows. It's the one thing that NXT and AEW truly do a lot better than Raw and SmackDown. If AEW, for in, in particular, has a really big match, they're going to make sure it happens at a pay-per-view. Whenever we get Kenny Omega and Hangman Page, that's going to be at a major pay-per-view. When we got Jon Moxley winning the title off Chris Jericho, that happened at a major pay-per-view. I, I know they don't have B-level shows, but just I hope you're understanding my point. So that's kind of the way Raw and SmackDown need to think. They got to think of their big five shows, at least, as the big five and allow the biggest matches to happen on those shows. And then all the B-level shows, those are the in-between feuds where you make your champions look strong. And that's what they're failing to do here. Bianca Belair is going to win this match. It's a no-brainer. You cannot have Bailey win this. So because of no storyline and because of the fact that Bianca Belair is going to win, it just seems like it's a total... Great challenger, your bet, your best challenger on SmackDown, other than Sasha Banks. And you're kind of just throwing it in the garbage on on Backlash, and that's so, why to me it's wasteful. I so we're both picking Bianca here. Clearly, um, the, the only thing I would say is I'm not going to get upset about something not happening at happening at SummerSlam until we see what's happening at SummerSlam. Sure, but do you um, want this feud for three months with with well, four matches I, again, and, the, again, and the fourth one being at SummerSlam? If if that happens, I will get mad at it. I'm just not going to preemptively get upset about it until it happens. Maybe Sasha comes back and they want to run back Sasha, Bailey, Bianca, Triple Threat or something like that. I, I think there are certain... This is not the only thing that could happen at SummerSlam, and I, I completely agree with that. I just think sometimes we get a little too into the weeds of the booking out a little bit, and if they're giving us a good match... I'm going to be okay with a Bianca if, Bailey I'm, I'm, match. I'm going to interrupt you. If they gave us a good match with a good storyline, I probably yeah. Wouldn't no, complain. we can complain about the lack of story. But that's, they, but, that, but that's, that's what I'm saying. They, that, that, that's worth complaining about. Not that they're not giving it us at SummerSlam. I think. No, but it, but it's the combination. So if you're going to throw together a quick shitty storyline for a B show pay per view, 
do it with a competitor who we don't think should have a legitimate opportunity to win the title. Like, again, you do it with a Ruby Riot. Like, give her an opportunity. Give Carmella a chance to have another title match in a short feud. Allow Bailey to do something else. When you when you do a quick, short, throwaway storyline with someone important, it makes them feel less important. And then when they ultimately get beat in the match, we both believe Bianca Belair is going to win. It takes that person, the- theoretically, it should take them out of contention for the title. The, the, That's where I'm upset about it. I'm not upset that we're getting a good match on a but, pay-per-view. I'm upset yeah. at the way they're giving it to us and basically telegraphing that there's no way that this person's going to win. But that goes back to the point I made at the beginning of that I think Bailey is at the level where she can get random title matches, lose them, and it not really hurt her, I think, in the long term. We'll see where it goes. I, I just, I don't want to, the story build for this has not been good, 100%. I just don't want to get too upset about something they haven't done yet. That's all. So you're picking Bianca Belair. Picking Bianca Belair. Do you think this feud continues after Backlash? I I, I want to see how the match ends. I, I think it, it, it depends. We could have a schmozzy finish and it continues. Yeah, I I, I don't um, I don't know. Do I think it will? Probably, but I don't think it's for sure. Does Bianca Belair defend the title against anyone other than Bailey between now and SummerSlam? Well, does that triple threat with Sasha I mentioned count? She'd still be defending against Bailey. Yeah. So it's possible, but it might not. <laughs> I might be wrong. That's the thing. I'm not again. I'm no, just because I think it's going to happen. I'm not going to get mad at them because I think it's going to happen. I'm just saying the ability. I'm just saying the ability to build up a Carmella and Mia Yim is over there. I now agree. I totally, I, I totally agree. I totally agree that 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 they should be building. I don't think those are unfair. All, I don't, no, I don't think sure. those are unfair frustrations. But to it, it's just speak. it's not. It's not like there's somebody else currently on SmackDown who. Who could be built up? I mean, Bailey was not. This story was not built with Bailey. We that's not know. true. They, that's not true. They could have had a number one contender match that Ruby Riot wins three I'm, weeks ago. Hey, I'm all about number one contender matches. You know me. So we'll I'm, see. I'm just saying it doesn't. It really does not take a lot to build someone into a number one contender. I agree, especially for a B level show. For a for an A for SummerSlam, if someone wants to go up against Bianca Belair, you can't just take Liv Morgan and, and make her a number one contender at SummerSlam. You have to build it over three, four months of her winning matches winning a number one contendership, facing adversity, all that stuff. I'm totally with you on that. But for a B-level show, you can easily do a number one contender match, give someone an opportunity, have a two-week storyline, and put them on the show. And I I would have preferred seeing that with Carmella or Ruby Riot, as opposed to just throwing Bailey into this spot. What I want is for when we do have a Bianca Belair and Bailey feud, for it to be a longer-term feud built up without using a schmoz finish title match where the challenger doesn't win as a catalyst for them to fight four more times which is very repetitive and very much what we frequently get in wwe that's where i'm coming from sure sure okay so the main event is next and last the universal championship roman reigns against cesaro and we didn't just save the main event for last we saved the best for last and we saved the largest topic that we have the most to talk about for last, because this thing once again seemed or felt at least, Chris, to take like an hour of a two hour SmackDown as it does every single week. So we'll deal with this in parts and then we'll give our prediction at the end. Uh, SmackDown basically opened with Paul Heyman eulogizing the career of Daniel Bryan with a 10 bell salute, with Heyman hysterically voice acting as the bell. Rain said Bryan refused to acknowledge him and he's been replaced on the roster. So he introduces. Jimmy Uso, who finally makes his return. I felt like this was a little bit of a missed opportunity 
to have Jimmy make an impact in storyline fashion, either on the show or previously in a major moment for Reigns. But based on the storyline they're giving us, I understand why they did it this way. It's cool to see him back with the family. And by the way, it was not lost on me, Chris, how many times they mentioned the name Daniel Bryan positively with reverence, given the reports that came out after we taped our last show that his WWE contract technically expired. Yes, that was uh, notable. I, 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 I don't. I don't really know what to make of the Dana Bryan thing, but but for, for Jimmy to show up the way he did um, surprised me at the time because you had you had talked about for a long time about uh, Jimmy all the opportunities sort of, they had all, yeah. all the run ins and <laughs> things you could have done with him and they didn't so it was an interesting way to do it but as you'll get into here they had a, there, there was a reason for that it's just weird it's like why did he need Reigns to bring him back obviously Jimmy's a rostered member under contract so like. If he's healthy, he should be able to come back. Is the I guess the insinuation is that there wasn't an open roster spot on SmackDown. So now that one opened, they had a space for Jimmy to return. No, I I I I don't know. I guess I didn't think about that. I think he just he's healthy now and 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 last we saw him was with Roman and stuff and he wanted to be there with his brother, so they planned to do this. And then it devolved when when they got in the ring. That's it's just the way he it. said it. He's like we've replaced him on the roster. And then he introduced, it's literally how he introduced him. That's kind of yeah. what I was getting at. But No, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that makes sense. Yeah. But it, nevertheless, it was cool to see Jimmy again and great, all the interactions they had, which we're going to get to. Before we get all into all of that, because the Brian thing came out after we taped and we never got a chance to talk about it. The report is that Daniel Bryan's contract technically expired after SmackDown last week. There is no real news about where he's going or what he's doing, but if I'm putting all of the pieces together, the fact that he was written off SmackDown and not WWE, it was not a loser leaves the company match. The fact that they mentioned his name like 15 times on SmackDown, almost all of it positively and throughout the entire show, not just at the beginning. Uh, they also showed the vaccination commercial that still had Daniel Bryan in it. They've showed that two times and I think they also showed it on Raw. That to me means he's probably re-signing do you think any different? No, I, I, I really don't know. I think, I think they're optimistic he will, and that's why they set it the way they did. I think it will. I think Maybe. they set it up with the possibility that something could change, um, to make it flexible. But honestly, I, I really don't know. And we talked about the last couple of weeks. We just really don't know where Brian's headspace is at. All right, let's get into the rest of this. We had Cesaro against Seth Rollins in a singles match. Cesaro came out and said Brian cannot be replaced. Seth Rollins attacked him. That led Teddy Long out in a surprise appearance to say that Cesaro would become the number one contender to Roman Reigns title if he beats Rollins. It was just a random uh, old school SmackDown booking, and I loved it. That was actually very commonplace back when Teddy Long was GM, so I appreciated it. It felt fitting for him to do it that way. Jay distracted Cesaro, leading to a superplex and Falcon Arrow by Rollins. Jay went up to Cesaro, but Rollins shoved him, saying to stay out of his business because he didn't need help like Reigns. Jimmy super kicked Rollins. Cesaro hit a splash on Jimmy, then rotated over Rollins for the neutralizer and the one, two, three for the expected win. This was all quite entertaining, but it was nothing that notable in terms of the in-ring action for me. It, it was another rematch, um, you know, coming out of Mania, and the result was kind of what we expected, but I, I thought it was, it was, 
all of this on its own individually maybe wasn't great, but it all told a larger story throughout the show, which I think it all worked out really well. Cause then you have Rollins talking to Reigns afterward about this and it just can continue to build on itself. I really well, let's like get to, let's yeah. get to that. Cause that's yeah. a really good point. So there's a lot more to unpack on SmackDown involving Reigns and the Usos. Uh, we'll touch it in parts after the match. Rollins visited Reigns and said, Jimmy screwed him over. Reigns said Rollins screwed him over and he'll have to handle his family. Rollins said Reigns better handle it or he will. The interaction between Reigns and Rollins was really damn cool. We were wondering if it was going to happen after we saw Rollins like with Jey Uso. I think it was last week or two weeks ago. It had my head spinning though with potential booking ideas, maybe a new version of the two-man power trip. I'm not sure if it's going to go anywhere. Maybe Seth Rollins ends up turning face and challenging Reigns, but I found it to be exceedingly interesting as a backstage segment. Yeah. Aside from their backgrounds, anytime you have two heels mad at each other, it opens up a world of possibilities. So that was really cool. Reigns tore down Jimmy for screwing up, but Jimmy stood up and said he wouldn't be talked down to like Jay. Jay then confronted Jimmy later and Jimmy said, Jay acts like Reigns bitch and he's the reason that Reigns is actually the universal champion. Jay argued using all of the brainwashing shit that Reigns has put in his head while Jimmy said they got to look out for each other first. Jimmy then interrupted Reigns in the ring later and asked Jay where he stood, reminding him that he only quit against Reigns to save Jimmy from the guillotine. And then WWE ran back that Hell in a Cell footage, which was a really nice touch, playing back into that. Jimmy said he'd never quit against Reigns and walked away, but Jay caught up with him. Cesaro attacked Reigns from behind. Jimmy tried to hold Jay back, but had to save him, eating a pop-up European uppercut as Jay and Reigns both took neutralizers to end SmackDown. What I really liked was the consistency with Jimmy not being a pushover for Reigns because he hasn't been beaten down physically or mentally like Jay already has been. The idea of a Jimmy versus Jay feud to get Jimmy in line with the family is quite intriguing. It felt like all of this should have transpired after Backlash as opposed to before and getting intertwined with Cesaro because Cesaro now almost feels like a secondary storyline while the family dynamics are playing a larger part. I don't know if you agree with that, but I did, regardless of that, love this entire storyline on SmackDown. And I really liked the way they reintroduced Jimmy, despite it not being in a way that I thought they would. Yeah, it was... Cesaro has been... He's been background throughout the entire thing of this. I mean, we just had a Dan O'Brien title match two weeks ago. I, I, I think they're... I think they clearly don't trust Cesaro to be able to carry it all by himself. So they're putting a lot of stuff around him but the stuff they're putting around him has been really good the dan o'brien stuff was really good all this jimmy j stuff i loved it i was completely captivated by it like 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 i said it was oh why are they introducing jimmy like this what a missed opportunity they could have done a run-in they could have done a surprise they could have done something but instead they gave us a really captivating and interesting story throughout where jimmy was making a lot of points going back and forth and that moment at the end when jay doesn't want to help roman and then he decides to because he knows he has to. And then Jimmy's weighing whether or not he should. And he goes in there to try to save his brother. I loved it. Well, Jimmy I, grabbed his arm, too. Yes, I loved yeah. that so much. You could the acting was really well done. You could sense all the internal conflict between all of them over all the moving pieces in the story. This should have been the go home to the to the show, I think, because right. then you're going into backlash thinking, what are the Usos going to do? What are either of them going to do? I have no idea. You could, you could have all sorts of chaos at the end of this match. So I love this whole segment. I love the story that they told. Everything around Roman Reigns continues to be one of the, continues to be the best thing 
I think, in pro wrestling. And this just added another layer to it. Like I, like I just said, I just I wish this was the go home to the show because it was it got me so excited and into being like, man, what's going to happen when they have their match? Now we have to see what happens this week on SmackDown first. Totally. We should note, by the way, this is the first singles world title match of Cesaro's 10-year WWE career. And yes, uh, in terms of what you said, the Reign storyline remains the best thing in wrestling, top to bottom. Just any show, it doesn't really matter. It's consistent. It, they keep changing it. It's different. Even when it's repetitive against the same opponent like Kevin Owens, it just develops and has layers and it's really, really exciting. Yep. Now, as far as the match goes, making that pick and prediction, I have to say there is a really good case for Cesaro to win the title here, especially if you have Jimmy help him or Jimmy prevent Jay from helping him. But I really just do not see them putting the world championship on Cesaro with Reigns being the one to take the fall. If someone else was champion, if Daniel Bryan was champion and he was the heel environmental Daniel Bryan type of gimmick, the planet's champion, I could see it happening. I don't think Cesaro is going to be the one to beat Reigns. I don't think they're going to have Reigns lose the title at WrestleMania Backlash when you have SummerSlam and Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, all these major events coming up. So despite me thinking that storyline-wise they could make it work with Jimmy, ultimately we have, I, I, I keep saying we, I have to have Roman Reigns retaining the title at WrestleMania Backlash. Yes, and, and you mentioned Cesaro's first one-on-one -on -one title match. They emphasize that a lot on SmackDown. They, they have done, you know, they, they clearly don't trust Cesaro to carry the feud, but they have also done a good job building him up everywhere they can. They they kept showing the, the WrestleMania win. They kept talking about how pound for pound, he's, he's the most talented guy. And hey, this is his first match. They're building it up for his first title match after building up his first singles match at WrestleMania. So they are behind him while also helping him out. I think they've done a great job uh, with all this for him. The pick is obviously Roman Reigns. Um, the, the question is just kind of how it happens and if it sets up for something or, but uh, I think this is going to be an incredibly fun match. And there's certainly a chance that Cesaro could win him over like Kevin Owens did and turn what maybe was supposed to be a one match feud into a two or three uh, because of how talented he is. So I'm really looking forward to the match. Now, before we get out of here, let's give our pre-show grade for WrestleMania Backlash because we're not going to really be able to tell people. Uh, Chris, very simply, it's a B-level show. Despite the talent that's on the card, it's not been built up enough for me to ever come near an A. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and predict a B-minus as my pre-show grade, not even a prediction, just my pre-show grade is a B minus that speaks to my expectation level. I think it'll be above average because WWE pay-per-views have all been above average recently, but I don't expect it to blow my socks off at all. Yeah, I'm going with a B with a chance to get to a B plus depending on how that Roman match ends. If they can send you out on a really hot note, it could get up to a B plus, I think, but I'm going to go for a B. Yeah, it has a ceiling of maybe a B plus for yeah. sure, but yeah. I think we're both in a similar vein where it's like there's some good matches on the card, but it's not the most exciting pay-per-view. And more importantly, it has not been built up to be important enough, despite them shoving the word WrestleMania into the name of the longstanding uh, Backlash pay-per-view. Yeah. Okay. I, I, honestly, I like the name. I'm, I, I like Backlash. I'm glad it's after WrestleMania. There were too many years when it was like Extreme Rules and then Backlash. It didn't make sense. I'm glad it's now after WrestleMania, and I don't mind the name. So that is our ultimate preview of WWE WrestleMania backlash a reminder of what is still to come this week on the getting over wrestling podcast we will be back on thursday talking all things nxt 
and AEW, with AEW specifically, will be dealing with the fallout from Blood and Guts. Whereas with NXT, they will be building to the newly announced, while we were taping this podcast, NXT TakeOver In Your House 2021 pay-per-view, which is going to go down on Sunday, June 13th. So it's great that NXT is bringing In Your House back as a gimmick for their TakeOver in June. We will then, on Friday, have a WWE WrestleMania Backlash live go-home show only on Twitter Spaces. The way to listen to that show on Twitter Spaces will be at about 10, 10.05 p.m. Eastern, immediately after SmackDown goes off the air. You will need a Twitter account. You you should follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. And you also need the Twitter app for iOS or Android. But we will basically do a live show where we're going to break down what happened on SmackDown leading into the pay-per-view, see if any of our picks or predictions have changed, and just go over WrestleMania Backlash one last time. Again, follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast for that. And do not forget to download the official Twitter app for iOS or Android. We will be using Twitter Spaces, which is integrated into that app. And then do not forget, on Sunday, the Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini. We will be back with WrestleMania Backlash instant analysis. Just minutes after the pay-per-view goes off the air, we are going to tape our instant and immediate reactions to the show. We will grade the pay-per-view and we will bring it all to you in a podcast that will hopefully get published before midnight Eastern. That way you guys can listen to it the same night as the pay-per-view or first thing Monday morning. Do not forget to check out our WrestleMania Backlash instant analysis. We know you guys love it. We love doing it. It's a lot of fun. So make sure if you're a first time listener, you subscribe to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast wherever you find podcasts. One more reminder to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And of course, we cannot get out of the show without one more reminder. That's right. It's all about the five. Five star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Let people know how much you love the show. Let us know how much you love the show. Tell us your favorite parts about the show and we'll make sure that we focus in on them more in the future. So with that, The Silver King is signing off. The way I do that is with three words. Bye for now.